Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome back to the Cyber Law Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Pollock, cybersecurity attorney at Niles Barton and Wilmer. Glad to have you back. And as always, keep those questions and comments coming. We've been getting a lot of good ones lately. Call me, 443-381-3586, or email me at sspollock, that's P-O-L-L-O-C-K, at nilesbarton.com. Very excited today because we've got a superstar of a guest, Meredith Grifante from FTI Consulting, and Meredith is the lead of their cybersecurity crisis response team. Meredith also worked on the Equifax breach for their crisis response, so I can promise you she is very legit. Um, We've worked together before, and I'm glad to have her on the show. Meredith, welcome. Good to be with you, Spencer. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. So let's jump right into it. Um, One question I've gotten in the past couple weeks is, what is the relationship between an attorney and a crisis responder such as yourself when a breach happens? It's a great question, Spence. Um, First and foremost, I think one of the important things is working under attorney-client privilege in these types of situations. As you know, oftentimes we're dealing with data access, data exfiltration, um, disclosure obligations, uh, HIPAA violations, um, disclosure PII, PHI. So working under attorney-client privilege is super important in terms of crisis communications, public relations, um, and and therefore, you know, we we do like to be retained through you guys to represent our joint clients. So that's the kind of first relationship. And then the second one is we typically look to the the attorneys to such as yourselves. Um, as the breach coaches, right? So you're in the driver's seat in terms of aligning the legal strategy to the forensic investigation, to the communication strategy, to working with insurers. Um, So you're usually the one in the driver's seat, at least when I've worked with you in the past, Spence. Um, But anything that we do is ultimately um, working towards supporting the legal strategy and making sure that anything we're saying publicly or to stakeholders of the victimized company, be it internal stakeholders or external stakeholders, that everything we are saying is supportive of the legal strategy. You make a lot of good points, especially the the point that I like to be in control. I think anybody that knows me (laughs) would attest to that as well. Um, In terms of the crisis response, one thing I, I do love about working with you and other people in your industry is that you guys are so good about fine-tuning messages. You know, lawyers obviously love to think that we can handle a lot of the messaging. Um, and I think from a legal side, we can, but I think it's really important to bring someone like you in on this because of your knowledge and experience and expertise in almost crafting and honing the appropriate message. What would you say would be an important thing that the listeners can take away from this um, in terms of how they can prepare their internal and external messaging before, during, and after a breach? Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I think one of the most important things is making sure that the messaging is consistent to all of the different stakeholders that may be involved in a, in a cyber incident. So you, typically you've got employee communications, you've got customer or partner or vendor communications, you've got the whole 
media relations and, and PR angle. Sometimes we're involved in investor communications, and those are all very different audiences. Um, so sometimes companies feel as though they need to be saying something different to each one of those audiences. And, you know, that's really something we try to steer clear of, making sure the narrative and what you're saying to each of those stakeholder groups is tailored, but consistent is super important. Um, every case we work on is different, so it's hard to prepare that kind of messaging ahead of time. Um, but working quickly, again, to develop an, a narrative around what happened, who was impacted, um, what you know to date, and then staying really rooted in fact uh, throughout the investigation is something that, you know, we really try to hone in on and help the client and the legal team with. And, you know, just our experience working on these different matters and seeing how cybersecurity incidents can be really emotional for employees or for customers, um, especially when, when the theft of sensitive company IP or PII or PHI is involved. Um, so we're really adept in recognizing what those pain points can be with different stakeholders and helping, again, to tailor that message. The other thing that I think is important and why you'd want to pull in, you know, a true expert in cybersecurity communications is the relationships we have with certain trade reporters in the cybersecurity world, cybersecurity influencers, um, those out there on the Twitter sphere that kind of break uh, news of these incidents, oftentimes before the, even the company knows about it or has a handle on what's happened, we can really tap into our relationships um, in those channels to help out the, the victimized company as well. Very interesting, very interesting. Um, the last thing you said is something I wanted to touch on you know, in terms of almost the publicity aspect, but more towards ransomware. And, you know, companies having to face that public relations almost nightmare when we're dealing with threat actors such as Ryuk, um, anyone down the line, and especially with the government coming out, the Treasury Department saying, if you're dealing with these terrorist organizations, state-sponsored actors, and you're paying them, you know, you might be liable. How, from your experience and what you're seeing, are you advising clients um, in terms of their messaging when they face these kinds of almost moral and financial and legal and reputational decisions around ransomware? Sure. I think our role is really, you know, around the pay and, and no pay decision. Our role is to outline what the reputational risks are in both circumstances and to help the company, you know, weigh the pros and cons of each and how it will play out in the public eye. So, I mean, ultimately, the decision to pay or not pay, it's different, right? In every case we work on, we've represented companies that pay, and we've represented plenty of companies that choose not to pay. Um, things that come into play are operational disruptions, obviously, you know, what kind of financial impact those operational disruptions are having, um, you know, is there a potential for uh, data leakage on some sort of dark web or shame site? Um, and how can that ultimately impact the stakeholders down the line and in the long run if that information were to become public? Um, so I see our role, again, as working with the insurers, working with the legal team um, to, to outline, again, the ups and downs of, of paying versus not paying. And then, 
you know, really helping the client to get ahead of any type of negative press around either, because like I said, there's, there's a risk when you pay that you get kind of hit for paying and there's a risk when you don't pay um, in terms of operations and system outages and disruptions that are, that are quite costly and can be very, you know, morale um, impacting uh, should the company decide not to pay. Yeah. And I think that's a big conversation that happens in these boardrooms or C-suites with the decision makers when a ransomware hits of really trying to to look at almost every angle to this, you know, with the reputational of things getting dumped out onto the dark web, um, people finding out clients and employees about this and the natural um, reaction of getting scared and not really knowing what to do. And obviously, I think it's very important to incorporate that crisis responders such as you, legal and the technical, all working together to really help a client get through that thought process. Uh, In your experience though, what is a couple common mistakes that you see when a data breach happens, when it comes to um, messaging internal, external, that companies kind of fall, you know, I guess uh, pitfalls that they step on? Sure, Uh, another great question, two points I'd make. I think that, you know, as we know, forensic investigations take time and what may be true one day might not be true the next day, depending on what kind of evidence they uncover or, um, you know, what's available to them to review in terms of audit trail and logs and and that sort of thing. So I see a lot of companies um, go out there almost immediately and say, you know, look, we didn't see any data access. There was no employee information stolen, no email stolen, no PII impacted. And then, you know, a week later, lo and behold, there it is, the evidence that that points to data access or (laughs) exfiltration of information. So companies oftentimes have to kind of walk back what they initially come out of the gate saying, and that's sort of just an instant credibility buster right there. Um, so again, I think staying really rooted in fact is is something that we encourage, even if it's painful and uncomfortable to say we just don't know right now or we don't have evidence at this time, but the investigation's ongoing. It's really, really important from a communication standpoint and from a, a legal standpoint to stay rooted in, in what you know and, and in fact. Um, the second point I'd make is a lot of companies go out there and they almost instantly put up some notice on their website saying they're making system updates or they've had some sort of cyber incident and they're very vague and unclear. And I think that really opens the the gates to even more questions around, you know, what, what happened? Why aren't you being honest with us? Just tell us, was it ransomware? And you know, we're seeing so many companies get hit with ransomware. It's, it seems like, at least from my end, you know, we're, we're having five, six new matters roll in a day. Um, and and we the, the good guys, it seems like, just can't keep up with the bad guys. So coming out and saying, like, look, we've been attacked. It's It's been a ransomware incident. I, I think right out of the gates is, is something we encourage. Um, and just being sort of forthcoming with, what you're dealing with and where you are in the investigation. I think that 
um, is, is helpful in terms of customer communications, especially in maintaining that trust and credibility with customers, giving them real, uh, real-time updates as is appropriate and as, as is, you know, defensible in terms of your legal strategy, um, really goes, goes leaps and bounds in, in terms of maintaining trust and credibility with your, your partners and customers. Yeah, I, I think what you said about when some when a company comes out initially and says everything's fine, don't worry, it always reminds me of that person or that GIF where that the dog is sitting at the table and there's a fire all around him, and then the quote underneath him is and he's drinking, I guess, a coffee or tea, and it's everything's fine. This is fine. <laughs> so, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's almost like everybody just keep in that straight line. Don't worry, everything is fine. But right. in truth, you know. You make a great point. Transparency is so big, especially in this country, especially with people. When you're transparent and you kind of get out in front of it, clients, employees, and the government are a lot more understanding than the opposite way to do it. Um, if Absolutely. You could, oh, sorry. No, I was just agreeing with your point. Well said. So, well, I have a couple. Sometimes I have a couple good points here and there. You know, <laughs> I have my moments. Um, all right, so. If you could give one piece of advice, just one, to the listeners that they could take away from this, what would it be? I think my one piece of advice would be to prepare and drill as much as you can. If you haven't been hit by ransomware already, it's not a matter of if, but when, um, as cliche as, as it is. And it's not really about practicing things like, are you going to pay? Are you not going to pay? It's really more about getting teams together that don't typically work together. I mean, you know, Spence, when we're thrust into one of these, you've got internal operations teams working with legal teams. You've got PR teams working with IT teams. And those are, you know, individuals that aren't used to interacting with each other on a daily basis. They don't speak the same language. And sometimes we're seeing them meeting for the first times in the middle of this crisis, if you will. So getting those folks in a room together, practicing, you know, what are the trigger points for escalation? How do you manage up when it comes to boards of directors and C-suites and keeping them informed? What do they need to know? What decisions do they need to be involved in? How do you get things like media statements, um, you know, customer letters approved quickly? How do you get those out the door quickly so you're not hamstrung by, you know, internal review processes? Um, and then, you know, what are the the steps to move from sort of containment to remediation and recovery? And and how does everyone sort of um, align and, and, you know, take, assume the formation, if you will, of a true incident response team, like a well-oiled machine? Um, I think that is, is so important. And one piece of advice I'd, I'd give to everyone, we just ran a, a ransomware simulation where we actually <laughs> simulated kind of like the look and feel of a dark web shame site and, and posed some really important questions to the client around operational disruptions, keeping production going, keeping shipping going, um, making statements to the press, making statements to investors. And, and they were faced with some you know, obstacles that they hadn't ever thought through before. So having people be able to make those mistakes in kind of a um, an environment where it's okay to make them versus when the stakes are high and everyone's trying to stop the bleeding and you're working with a ton of different 
external vendors and partners and, and you know, insurers. I think practicing like you're going to play is is truly a valuable tool to have in your tool shed. And it's something I'd recommend to everyone right now. No matter, you know, how big or large the company or, or small the company, publicly, privately traded, um, it's so important for everyone to be thinking through right now. Well said. You know, I, I look at it as hope for the best, prepare for the worst. And uh, I think this is a common message everybody in our industry says to our clients or potential clients is you have to prepare. You know, the organizations that do these preparations, do the mock breach roundtables, the ransomware roundtable exercises, they're just in such a better position to handle it when it happens. Um, but it's, you know, continuing to get that message out there and you make a lot of good points, a lot of good information. And, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to do it. Hello to all your listeners and, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you again. And uh, to all the listeners, sending questions, comments, 443-381-3586. Email me, sspollock at nilesbarton.com. And we'll see you on the next one. Have a good day.